We're in Romans chapter 14, and we're speaking about having a righteous testimony. See, your life and my life is not just lived with ourself. You don't just affect yourself, you are affecting other people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So you and I, we're living moonlight Christianity. You know how much light the moon has? None. You say, when I see the moon all lit up at night, boy, that's got a beautiful light. But you know, it's not. It's a rock. You know what the moon does? It reflects the light of the sun on the night sky. On the, in the galaxies, it, 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 the sun shines on it, and it shines on us at night. While the sun is shining on the other side of the world during their day. That's kind of like we are. We're, we're moonlight, Christian. We don't have any light in ourselves, but we're reflecting the light of God on a dark world. When the world looks at you, they should see Jesus. Your neighbors should say, I saw Jesus in that teenager. I saw Jesus in that single adult. I saw Jesus in that couple that lived in my neighborhood. I see Jesus in my coworker was talking to a man one day who was driving a truck, and he found two dock workers that knew Jesus, and they got a burden for him, began praying for him. And eventually, they were responsible, humanly speaking, to share the gospel with him, but it was their testimony that opened up the door. Yes, we ought to witness with our lips and never neglect to do that, but we ought to witness with our life. And your testimony is really important. We've been looking at the book of Romans. The book of Romans has five divisions. It starts off with chapters 1 through 3 on sin. Can you say it with me? Chapters 1 through 3 is sin. you got rank sinners, you got religious sinners, or actually everybody's a sinner. Chapters 4 and 5 speak not of sin, but of salvation provided by faith in Jesus Christ. So the first part is sin. The second part is the third part is chapter 6 through 8, and that speaks of sanctification. Uh, how that we have uh, the law and we have the flesh, and then chapter 8 we have the Spirit-filled life. That's where the Bible tells us, in the flesh can no man please God. We must be walking in the Spirit. And so he talks about sanctification. So the first section is sin. Second section, the third section now remember, salvation is a miracle of a moment. When you get saved, you get saved instantly. It's a moment of time in which you break the womb and, and uh, then you become God's child. Just like your birthday is. No one says, well, yeah, I was born over a period of six months. No, you weren't. <laughs> you have a birthday. It's a miracle of a moment when you became your mom and dad's uh, child. Salvation is a miracle of a moment, but getting to know your, your God and your Heavenly Father is a process of a lifetime. That's sanctification. Chapters 9 through 11 speak of God's sovereignty, especially in relation to the nation of Israel and His salvation for the world. So we have sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty. And then chapters 12 through 16, His service. It is shining out the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dark world. That is what he's going to tell us about. We've kind of already talked about chapters 12 and 13. We're in 14 today. And 14 is Paul's, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, his advice and his teaching to Rome. This is all written to the church at Rome. 
Now, he had never been to Rome at this time when he wrote this letter. But he had led people to Christ, and all roads lead to Rome. And so many of the people he had led to Christ are in Rome, and they have established an assembly, a church. And they're coming to, they're coming to the church, they're growing in the Lord, but they do have some problems. One of the problems are in any church, you have... There are certain things that are just, thus saith the Lord, okay? You don't have to pray about whether I should steal or not. Okay, you don't say, you know, listen, I'm praying about stealing. What do you think I should do? I don't have to talk to you about that. That, that is, God says, thou shalt not. Well, I'm praying about living with my girlfriend and my boyfriend. I don't know exactly what I should do about that. I can tell you. <laughs> God says marriage is an honorable thing. The bed is undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. I don't have to, I don't, we don't have to argue about that. You don't want to be a fornicator. You don't want to be under the judge. Life is hard enough without being under God's judgment. Don't do that. That's very clear. But they have in any assembly weaker Christians and stronger Christians. Newer Christians and more seasoned Christians. Now sometimes we have people that have been saved 30 years, but they're still babies. At a time when they should be eating the meat, they're still having to drink the milk. At a time when they should be teachers, they're still having someone patting them on the head. I'll just tell you real quickly, as a pastor, I get very frustrated with people who've been saved 30 years and kind nothing to do but complain. Find problems. You've been saved by the grace of God. You've forgotten that you got saved and you got more complaints and everybody wants to complain about things. You need to, you need to, you need to consider that. Because some of the newer Christians that just finished discipleship level one and level two, they think this is the best thing since ice cream. They just got out of the world. They just got out of the sin and the bondage of Satan, and, and they think the music is great. They don't care if they stand up three minutes or 12 minutes. They think it's fantastic. They think the church is wonderful. They, they enjoyed the body of believers, but we just kind of got there, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, and we got nothing but complaints to give. We got more opinions to share. And I think as friends, listen, as we, in every church, this is nothing new for First Baptist Church of Hammond. I have been in both sides. I've been a weak Christian, and occasionally I've been a little stronger. But as we grow in our walk, Lord, we understand things better. The more you listen to the Word of God, the more you study the Word of God, the more you spend time with God, the more things become clear to you. You know, when we get saved, God knows us. And then if we keep His commandments, we get to know Him. And we get to know His ways and what He wants us to do. And the entrance of God's Word gives light to us. And it gives understanding to our simplicity. But learning to interact with each other is one of the more challenging things that we do. Because all of us are at different stages of life. At one time, some of you were very close to God. You would be someone who would say, they're on fire. But you've cooled off a long time ago. You had a hard time finding your Bible this morning. You haven't thought about Jesus in a week. You didn't come ready to give today, to give worship to the Lord. You came because it's part of your culture. And you know your Sunday school teacher left you a voicemail and you're supposed to be here. Some of you, you used to be high and now you're low. Some of you got saved recently and you're on your way up. And learning how to interact with each other is challenging, especially when we're in different levels at any given time. And Paul sees here, this chapter is a lot about diet and days. 
Because at the time of his writing, they were, they were having arguments, disputations is a word we don't use very much, it's used in this chapter, about if we should eat food that uh, is from a lobster or if it's from a, a catfish or if it's pork or if it's beef or if it's goat or if it's lambs. It was arguments about what kind of food we should eat. Or if we should remember and worship on the Sabbath day, or if we should worship on Sunday, the first day of the week. It was diets and days were the argument of the day. Now, that's not our argument today. Most of us do not have arguments. Now, some folks maybe feel very passionate about dietary um, disciplines, and that's fine. It's okay. That's not, that's not a wrong thing to have that. But it's not a religious thing. If you read your Bible, though God gave His people some distinct instructions on what to eat, what not to eat, He had them be circumcised as a, as a, a part of their distinction. They worship differently. They, they love differently. All these things. But, but in the New Testament, you can see very care, carefully and very clearly that God it doesn't care if you eat a ham sandwich. He doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't bother him. He's no longer saying you can't have shrimp. Nope, you can't have a catfish because it's a, it's a bottom feeder. He's not, he doesn't have that rule to us. He said, matter of fact, he told Peter that. Remember Peter, the strict Jew? And you can read about it in the book of Acts where God dealt with him and sent him and, and showed him, look, all these things, kill and eat. He says, I am not eating that. He said, no, you're going to eat that. He said, because I've cleaned it all up. It's not, a, it's not a matter today. I want you to know that it's not, that's not it's something that's a rule, thus saith the Lord. It may be a practice that you use, and that's fine. But it's not a biblical thing, a prohibition. But that was something that was coming up because the church was full of a lot of Judaizers. It had challenges of people. I'm sorry, right here. Let me get a microphone. We good? Thank you. The guy up there fell asleep on the board and it just turned off real quickly up there. It's okay. I had that effect on a lot of people. I, you, you having a problem with insomnia? Come listen to me preach, brother. Hundreds of people successfully go to sleep every Sunday morning. It's unbelievable. No, we, but uh, he said he, it was the church of Rome had many Jews and Gentiles and Jews who had been raised with the kosher foods and the Sabbath day and worshiping on this day and this feast and, and Pentecost and all the different days. But the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross in Colossians chapter 3, those ordinances were blotted out. And God has a global conquest. He's not just saving the Jew, he's saving the Gentile. And he said, there are some things we don't want them to do. They're supposed to not drink blood, and they're not supposed to commit fornication. Those are two things that are general for everybody. He said, but apart from that, the rest of the things are not to be considered. They're not to be judged on. But here we have some problems. And Paul addresses it on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God to help us. Now, these are not our problems today as a general rule. But we do have problems. We do have areas that are difference of opinions. Someone might have a problem with, should I have a television in my home? Okay. Uh, maybe girls would say, should I put sleeves or not sleeves on my arm? 
There are certain things that may be coming into, into play that are different uh, in regards to general things that are not thus saith the Lord. And it's a challenge. And see, Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse number 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. One thing, one badge of discipleship that the world recognizes is when someone loves each other. When an unsaved person come recently, they practice and they, they worship in a cult. Someone who rejects that Jesus is the Christ. And that they were here for a wedding. At the end of the wedding, they said to the person around them, they said, you know, there's something about you people. He said, you're so accepting, so loving. I wish I could bottle this and take it to my worship center. Because we don't have this. We don't have this, this love, this friendliness. We have our doctrines and our, and our teaching, but we don't have that, whatever you have here, that camaraderie. That it seems like everybody has it, not just one or two people. Do you know this unsaved person, if they come to know the Lord, they're going to come to know the Lord in part because they saw people who love God love each other. Well, there are some things that cause this friction. And so God's going to tell us a few things. I must hasten, but let's look at chapter 14, verse number 1. The Bible says this, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Okay, real quickly, let me just look at it real quickly, and you tell me, um, is this person who is weak in the faith, yes or no? What does that mean in the faith? They're saved. See, Christians aren't, they, they're, all of us are in the faith if we're saved. Now, there may be someone here today, you're not saved. You know it and God knows it. If Jesus were to come back to here today in this room, you'd be still sitting here looking around what happened. You know it and God knows it. If you were to die today, you're not sure you'd go to heaven and you're bothered by it, but you need to get it settled. But is there possibilities, and there is, there are people who are saved who are weak. They're, they're not as strong as other people may be. He said, listen, I want you to accept them. Give them some wiggle room to grow. Don't expect them to have it here. I think any church where everybody looks just like everybody else, it's not a soul winning church. It's not discipling people. None of us are on the same stage where none of us are where we ought to be. Would you agree with that? But many of us are not where we used to be. And that should be my story tomorrow. I should say, you know, I'm not what I ought to be, but I, am, I think God has helped me grow from where I was last month. One guy said, well, I'm not what I ought to be and not what I should be, but I'm glad I'm not what I used to be. <laughs> That ought to be a Christian state. By the way, if you're on the downward slide, you used to be a little bit more faithful to the Lord, then get back on the wagon. Don't go into eternity limping across the finish line. Uh, let's, let's, get, let's go on, let's finish the thing, let's finish the race on top side. Boy, I just did a funeral this week for a lady named Ann Kincaid. 
1973, her kids were asked to ride the bus, and she had a little bit of a discussion with her husband. So, what am I doing? I can't let these kids. I don't know where they're going. And uh, he said, no, let them go. That's, that's the church. Let's be okay. They went to church. They came back and said, Mom, you got to go with us. Mom, you got to go with us. She finally came. She got saved. She got baptized. And that was in 1973. She's been riding the bus every Sunday since. But if you know Ann Kincaid, you know she ended on topside. She didn't limp across the Christian life. She got better and better, stronger and stronger before she went home to be the Lord. Would to God that I have that testimony and you do. All of us, all the way. But he said, listen, if you find someone and they're not measuring up, if you are a little stronger than they are, receive them. Understand them. You have to take people where they are to take them to where they need to be. All of us are, are different stages. That means we have different opinions about different things. And some of the things are not doctrinal. They're not thus saith the Lord. Some of them are little bit things that we're going to be growing into. He said, but, but not into doubtful disputations. If you can read this in the NIV, you'll have problems because I think it, it gives a wrong. It's one of those verses that I don't know why they change it. It's like, don't, don't judge them. That's not what the Bible says. He said, look, receive them, but don't get caught up in the arguments of doubtful things. Receive them, but don't get caught up in the arguments, doubtful disputations, an argument about something that's questionable. There's something more important than that. Look at verse number two, would you please? The Bible says, for one believeth that he may eat all things, and another who is weak eateth herbs. So Paul draws a line and said, listen, if someone thinks at this time that they can't eat all things, it's because they haven't been enlightened yet. They're not, they're not strong in that area. He says, uh, so he said, I'll just draw the line here and just tell you, there are certain things that are right and certain things are wrong. And it's not wrong to eat something that's not kosher. He said, if someone feels that way, they think they only can eat herbs. He says, then you receive them. You love them. But there's a weakness there. If they think that is a religious thing, I don't think it's wrong. From, and we have folks who are nutritious oriented, and that is fine. That's great. But don't say, you know, the Bible tells you you're wrong because you ate this, that kind of thing. That's what he's going to tell them. Look at verse number three. The Bible says, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath what? He's going to say, now listen, don't despise. Don't look down on somebody who doesn't eat meat. And let not him that, that doesn't eat meat look down on him that eateth meat. Because God receiveth him. Verse number four, read it out loud with me. Who art thou that judgest another man's? Here's a couple things real quickly I need to hasten. But here's, here's what I think the first thought in our testimony toward one another is we need to understand an understanding of how God feels about others. Okay? And the second thought we're going to talk about is an understanding of personal responsibility for me. I need to draw a circle around myself and ask God to keep things right in the circle. And what many of us do, we spend our life evaluating other people. Well, how come them? And what about them? And you know how they are. And God says, listen, put, stay in your circle. For every one of us have to appear before God. But first thing I want you to know, there's three things that God wants us to understand about each other. Number one, if they're saved, they're accepted. 
If they've accepted Jesus Christ, they're in. They're received of who? God. He says, I received them. They're in the brotherhood. And every once in a while throughout our history, in my own life, and many preachers who have graced this pulpit and many thousands just like it, we get very dogmatic, and we do need, pastors need to point out wolves in sheep's clothing. Pastors, if they're worth their weight in salt, are going to warn you against false teachers and, th- and people you should not listen to, and people who have um, alternative motives. Okay, so there are false prophets out there. You can't read your Bible without seeing God uh, doing that. But let me say something real quickly. That if people are saved, there are going to be people that I don't necessarily cross my T's and dot my I's with, and you may not either, but they're accepted by God. They're my brother. They're my sister in Jesus. They may not cherish the same things that I believe the Bible teaches me to do, and they may be not there yet. They may have changed some things, and by the way, as people grow, what saddens me is that people who know better go back to the world. They know what they're supposed to do, and then they just change, and they start becoming more and more worldly. That's the person that ought to get a checkup from the neck up, ring their bell, and say, hold on. I'm going to see Jesus in a few days. Am I going to be on the backswing, or am I going to be on the uptake? Am I going to get more worldly or more holy? But also in our thinking, we need to do that. And the first thing you need to know about your brother and sister uh, that, that may be stronger or weaker than you is that they are accepted by the Lord. Number two, they answer to the Lord. They're accepted by the Lord and they have to answer to their own master. They will stand and fall. You know, this is a, this is a real freeing thing. Because we oftentimes look around and decide, oh, they're good, they're bad. Are they with us? Are they in our camp? Are they with our group? I never heard of them. I don't even know if they really believe the truth of salvation. You don't know all that. But you know, it would be a freeing day when you understand that you're responsible for you, Spanky, and I'm responsible for me. And I have to answer to God. So one of the things we understand about each other, number one, is that people who are saved are accepted by Him. Number two, people that are saved are responsible to him. He's their master. I'm not their master. Sometimes I I was helped by this statement. I have nothing to prove and only one person to please. Now, that is not a statement I make when I I say, you know, I I don't have to show you anything. The truth of the matter is I do have to show you. The Bible's very clear. And oftentimes people on the other side of this will say, oh, you know what the Bible says. God looketh, uh, man looketh upon the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the, and that's true. God knows something about me you don't know. He knows the counsels of my heart. I don't know your, your heart. But you know what? Also, men do look on the outward appearance. James said it like this. If you say you have faith, well, show your faith by your, what you do. You know how people know you're Christian? By what you do, how you love. You can't just say, well, I just, I just love God. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. No, you're, you're drinking your bathwater, friend. That's not good. No, if you are a Christian, you ought to live that way. Everybody ought to know you're a Christian. Those in your own house ought to know, my dad's a real true Christian. My mom's a real Christian. My brother, my sister, my son, my daughter, they live it. 
But we need to understand this about each other. Number one, if someone's saved, they're accepted of God. Number two, they're responsible. He's their master. I'm not. You're not their master. It grieves me to see people grab hold of the, the greasy pole of sin and worldliness and ride it all the way to the bottom, stubbornly idolatry, thinking of their own selves rather than God and His purposes. But one of the things I can sleep good at night knowing that I'm not responsible for them. They have to answer to their own God. There are some things I think and I hold very dear. And not only in doctrine, but in conduct. I, I think there's a reason to be modest and distinct in your dress. I think we wear clothing for protection, for distinction, so that you know that you're a man and you're a woman. I think we, we wear clothing for modesty to cover ourselves. And when we, the more wicked people come and the more perverted people come, the more clothes come off of them. I just I was at a softball game yesterday playing with scores of our men, and uh, I just thank God for the ladies who come and the folks who come dressed modestly. I appreciate that. They don't have to do it. They can show themselves and show themselves. But boy, I just was so blessed by the modest apparel that, that people came to watch softball in. That was great. It was a blessing to me. Encouraged me. But I think we ought to dress because of protection, because of distinction, because of modesty but also because of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many times unsaved people, they recognize believers by their apparel, by their face, by their conduct, and their distinction. They're different. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, there's not everybody agrees with that. And not everyone's ever at the same, pay, at the same place. I believe that there's many reasons for us to elevate our, our behavior, our entertainment. But some people may not be there yet. And what I need to do is to give them wiggle room, and they have to answer to God. Oh, am I going to preach the truth? I should. Should I warn those who are simple? Yes, I should. Should I encourage people what they should do? Yes. But I, am I supposed to judge someone else's servant? No. It's, they, I don't have to evaluate their, they're to their own God. They're going to stand and fall. So the first thing we see here is that everybody's accepted by the Lord who is saved. Number two, verse four, it says, to his own master. They're responsible to God. And then notice what the rest of that verse says. Verse number th four. Are you looking at it with me? Let's look at it. Can we please? For God is able to make him, yeah. He's the one who holds them up. You know, there are things, and the Bible tells us over and over in the Scriptures, that we're supposed to stand having done all to. You know what God's purpose is for Brother Gabe and Brother Doug and Pastor Wilkerson? He wants me to stand distinctively different in the evil day. You know what His purpose for you is? So that you'll stand up against temptation. You'll stand up against impurity. You'll stand in the workplace when someone tells you um, that, uh, that, uh, that uh, you're just a holy Joe or whatever. You'll, you'll do what's right. When someone makes fun of your purity, you'll still be pure. And you know what God's purpose in all of us, weak or strong, is that He'll help us stand. He'll help us be real, true Christians in the deep, dark world that we live in. A couple things we understand each other. Number one... If you're saved, you're accepted. Number two, 
As a Christian, you're responsible to God. You're not responsible to me. I'm not responsible to you, ultimately. Yes, we are supposed to take care of each other. We're supposed to, and we'll see the rest of this passage of Scripture. will say, hey, none, no man liveth to himself, no man dieth to himself. He said, one of the reasons that makes me live a high our standard is because I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to hurt the testimony of Christ. I don't want to hurt you. And I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing myself. God's going to give us that. But also, God's purpose in your life and mine is to help me stand. I don't know about you, but when you're falling down, you're not helping too many people. But when you can stand, that's what God wants us to do is stand. He says, you know what? I'm going to hold them up, and I'm going to help them. If they're weak, I'm going to help them stand. And that's what God's purpose is for us.